0: Welcome to part two of the Not The Top 20 episode on youth development with Conor Rowden. If you're listening to this, I hope you've listened to part one. In part one, Conor and I went through the EFL's link with the England setup and went through all the current England youth teams and touched on the EFL talent among them, touched on some of the pathways that these players will have, have had or are struggling to find, As well as touching on much, much more. Hopefully, you've already listened to that, but if you haven't, I suggest you go there first. In this episode, we're going to be carrying on our discussion and talking about things a little more generally, focusing on some of the clubs in the Championship League One and League Two that do youth development well or that do things a little bit differently. Some of them coming from catchment areas where they're able to attract excellent local talent. And many of them who don't, but who get around that in different ways with clever youth recruitment or otherwise. We hope that you'll enjoy this part of the episode as much as I did. Towards the end of this podcast, I talked to Connor about some big topics. The Checker Trade Trophy, uh, B-teams in the EFL, the proposed loan rules and much, much more. Connor, as you can tell from part one, really does know everything there is to know about the individual players about clubs and has some excellent thoughts on some of the wider topics surrounding youth development in the game. So if youth development's your thing and if you enjoyed part one, make sure you enjoy this part two. This is our conversation with Conor Rowden. Let's, uh, let's talk a bit more generally about some of the teams in the EFL um, who are producing good young talent or have Uh, an interesting youth strategy. Um, We won't necessarily go in any particular order, but of course, across all three divisions, there are interesting teams to talk about. Um, We've already mentioned a few of the individual players, but I I, kind of wanted to start with Norwich and Ipswich because certainly with Norwich at the top of the table and Ipswich at the bottom of the table in the championship, um, it's been fascinating to see how... Norwich's young guns, three of them really, Lewis, Aaron's at fullback and Cantwell, who's come into the side uh, just start, uh, sort of September onwards and it's starting to shine. How they've managed to integrate players into a, a successful team uh, and how Ipswich, with an array of young talent of, of youth team quality, uh, of Giselle, of Flynn Downs. Uh, we're starting to see Lancaster play a bit more and even slightly older players like Teddy Bishop, who have who've suffered so much from injuries. I mean, these two clubs differing, um, differing success at the moment in the league uh, at senior level, but are these, they, they strike me as two of the, the most consistent sort of youth. Um, yeah. Or just consistently successful in terms of churning out good youth players at uh, at, at championship level, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, they're both they both take it seriously, uh, which I think is a good start. Um, Ipswich consistently have players leaving them for other other teams, in like on, at under sixteen level, there's a like or under seventeen level, there's a lad called Ben Knight who's just joined Man City. Charlie Brown, who's been scoring goals for the Chelsea UEFA youth league team, is from Ipswich. Uh, his little brother's still at Ipswich, and he's doing well. Um, but I think they both just take it seriously. They both, and they're always in the comp- in all the competitions. Um, I think it just shows the platform that Norwich have given their young players to succeed, as opposed to Ipswich, who are in transition, or um, you could say they're treading water a little bit. And there's been a lot of change there. Um, I think Ipswich are interesting because. They loaned someone like Tayo Eden from Fulham. And I really like Tayo Eden. But as a club that already has Tristan Nidham, Flynn Downs, Andre De and Bishop, as you mentioned, you wonder what the strategy is there because they're taking on another player from another club to develop when they already have their own. And you just wonder what the long-term strategy is that because what ends up happening is none of the four develop well and no one benefits as opposed to uh, arrowing in on a couple of them maybe and really trying to develop them as opposed to trying to develop players en masse, which is a risky situation.
0: It strikes me and of course it looks easier for them because they're having more success on the pitch, but... Uh, in terms of Norwich, uh, the the huge turnover really that they've had to go through, uh, squad wise, since dropping down from the Premier League, and especially since losing their parachute payments at a time where they've been selling their best players, um, the likes of Madison and the Murphy twins, uh, for a lot of money, and replacing them with this with this uh, really eclectic mix of players um, from abroad generally uh, in their early to mid twenties, essentially, uh, as far as I can tell, as well as putting together a fantastic team that tops the championship um also building assets uh, who, who ultimately will make the club a lot of money as well and at the same time being able to integrate uh, three youth team products it's it's that's absolutely astonishingly good work isn't it from from Daniel Farker a, a man who has his background I think in uh, in youth development to some extent as well
1: yeah, Norwich are very interesting because it's not only that they're producing someone like Campwell, who I believe is a local Norwich lad, and they sent him out to Fortuna Sittard for this last six months of last season as he was just on the edge of their first team. And then they've integrated him fully this season, which is a perfect transition from youth football to senior football. But they also recruit pretty heavily. For their players, like Jamal Lewis and Max Ahrens are both from Luton. And uh, we'll I'll probably touch on it now because may as well. The interesting thing about them two is Luton, uh, Lewis is nine uh, 98 born, I believe, and Ahrens is 2000. But Luton also produced James Justin, who's in 1999, Jada Silva, uh, who's at Bristol City now? He's in '98. Cole De Silva, who's at Brentford now, uh, Jada Silva's little brother uh, from Chelsea. Uh, Frankie Masonda, Yamfam, who used to be at Charlton, and Tyreek Backinson. That whole group. But what Norwich did is uh, when this whole group, the majority of them, were really young, they played in a tournament in Switzerland, like for, a big for youth. Luton. Yeah, for Luton, right. a big youth tournament, and they won the whole thing, beating Bayern Munich in the final. This group of... That's like five League One and above fullbacks alone that this <laughs> one group has produced. Yeah, And Norwich hired their coach as their head of recruitment, a guy oh. called Greg, Greg Broughton. So I'm not sure on the exact timeline, but I presume he brought Lewis and Aaron's across. And that investment in the slightly younger players, has paid off in assets that they have now. And it's the same with Madison. They signed him early from Coventry and developed him through and benefited at the other end. And I think if you can be smart like that, the payoff at the end of it is absolutely huge.
0: I can imagine that there's a lot of pride from a Luton point of view and probably some frustration as well. I suppose there's not really much you can do. But, you know, we often moan about the uh the big hitters in the premier league stealing uh or not stealing but uh making the most of of uh EFL trained players and picking them up for a, for a relatively small fee because they can uh, and then clearly it happens even within the EFL um as well so um yeah i suppose with with Norwich and Ipswich it's just such an interesting one two clubs so close together who are um, so full of talent, but uh, being able, one of them, to to succeed with it and the other slightly scratching its head and working out the best way. It's one of those ones that Ipswich fans won't thank me for saying, but, you know, we spoke about Sunderland, you spoke about Mumba and Mager and Embleton and how those guys are mu- obviously much more likely to get game time for Sunderland eventually if they're a League One club or a Championship club as opposed to a Premier League club. You wonder whether... One small positive of a potential Ipswich relegation, which looks very probable at this stage, would be that surely at that stage, at least one of <laughs> Dazelle, Downs, Lancaster, Bishop could start to to form a a part of that core, um, which would be fantastic for their development, uh, and potentially in the long term, very very good for Ipswich, who at the moment clearly are struggling with that long-term vision because of what's happening um, in the here and now. Well, let's move on to some other uh, championship teams. Um, I mean, where do you start, really? There's a lot of really interesting clubs uh, with some very interesting age groups um, and with different ways of, of, uh, of dealing with it. I wanted to ask you about Bristol City. Um, they've obviously had a decent... Uh, recent history in terms of young players becoming contributors to the first team. Joe Bryan, of course, um, very very much a local lad, and now playing for Fulham uh, in the Premier League. It's had an injury, but um, you know, looks like he's very much the modern fullback. And um, Lloyd Kelly, who you mentioned earlier uh, in the in part one, who's part of the England under twenty setup, um, sort of flitting between. Left back and center back at the moment, and we're hoping that center back's where he'll he'll end up. but it's not just what they've been doing with local players, is it they're another team that picks up other EFL talent. I saw you uh, I saw you call them a like a championship version of Monaco, so talk us through that in terms of Bristol City
1: yeah, um it's I'm very interested by what they're doing because they load up on young talent. And not all of the talent plays initially. There's the Swedish lad Eliasson this season, who had a bedding in year year last year, barely played this season. There's Liam Walsh, who they picked up from very cheap from Everton last summer, who again barely played last season. Uh, well, sorry, last January, uh, barely played last season. Starting to play a little bit more at the moment, and it seems like they speculate on these players and. If two of ten come through and are good players for them, they'll probably be at a net profit, at least on the pitch, if not off it as well. Uh, there's another one, Taylor Moore. He was this current England under-20 World Cup winners. He was the captain of them when they were under-17s. He is a little bit like Solomon in that he's not the biggest, not the quickest, but he's settled in well at, uh, South End on a loan this year. And he was
0: he was out in France, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was at Lens. Uh, so he's, he's had loans at Bury, Cheltenham, and now South End, gradually working his way back up. They've got Zach Viner, who was at um, Plymouth last year. He's out at Rotherham this season. So I think they've just got a l- big group of players at the right age that if they get lucky, They could all mature together and something special could happen but they could also get slowly picked apart and the worry is that if there's not instant returns on the strategy a lot of clubs give up before the payoff happens. So it'll just be interesting to see what happens with them over the next few years if they can keep it together long enough for a proper promotion push or whether... um, we look back in five years and look at the players they've had with Kodja, Tammy Abraham, etc. And they'll have five Premier League players maybe with Kelly as well. Yeah. And yet, they'll still be in the championship.
0: Mm. Interesting interesting to see how that one plays out. One of their uh, young pieces that you've spoken about that they've um, that they've taken in is Tyreek Backinson, who I know is someone that you follow very, very closely. Um, currently on loan... Uh, at Newport in League Two. That seems to be quite a popular destination for, uh, for low-knees, um, Newport. Uh, tell us about Backinson, what sort of player he is
1: and, and why why you're following him so closely. Um, he played against Spurs in the Czech trade trophy last season when he was at Luton and uh, had a great game in midfield against uh, some of the players who would be some of the best in their age groups in the country, uh, hypothetically. Um, and then I think it was the next week he joined Bristol, Bristol City, which caught my eye because I thought oh, I might just be one game, but then uh, a permanent transfer to a championship side. Um, so he's a pretty unique player, very tall, very good on the ball, uh, turns tightly with the ball, uh, likes it in tight spaces, uh, creative, and just a bit of a different prospect, really. Not the type who often succeeds, the likes of Ejaria or some of the more slender, um, technically gifted players. They often get written off pretty early. So I think rather than trying to make it at Bristol City this season, um, dropping down to League 2 at Newport, a, player, a team where you could play consistently, and really make a difference could do a lot for his reputation and uh, I wonder whoever Bristol City will bring him back in the summer or, or if he'll advance up the football league to a league one side maybe with Newport if they pull off a promotion but probably somewhere else so he's just one that an interesting outsider not hasn't played for England at any level but just one that caught my eye and it's been worth keeping a track of him since then.
0: Yeah, and it, it strikes me that he's taken fairly well to uh, to League Two football and everything that that brings, as we've spoken about um, in part one. Um, a couple of other championship clubs to talk about. Uh, Derby County obviously currently have um, a, a crop of, of young players in their late teens or early 20s, the likes of Bogle. Um, who who formed part of the team. Older players like Mason Bennett and in the past Will Hughes and George Thorne. Um, Thorne, I think, came through at West Brom, but you know was a young player in, <laughs> at Derby as well. Um, but they've got something really exciting going on in the academy. Is that right? Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, they um, them and Forrest compete for basically the same players in this region. And uh, Forrest have often had the upper hand uh, with... The players' derby produce a bit more sporadic, whereas Forrest have been a bit more consistent. But uh, they're constantly represented in the underage teams. There's a guy called Louis Sibley, who's a midfielder, left-footed, blonde. So we'll probably um, get compared to Will Hughes a lot. But I know he was with Derby a lot in pre-season, and he's only 17, so there's no rush with him. But wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe make his debut later in the season or um, be a main part of their squad next season as a serious option, if they're still in the championship, of course. Um, and then there's Morgan Whittaker, who's not dissimilar from Arvind Apaya, uh, a winger, like comfortable all the way across the front line, though, at a push. England, and, England are
0: going to have to find ways of, of playing five wide forwards and four fullbacks in each team, it seems... There's uh, so yeah. a lot of talent in those uh, in those sort of, yeah, wide forward positions in the in the unders.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, they've got an, a good group. And in terms of outsiders for the FA Youth Cup, aside from the traditional Arsenal, Chelsea, City, United, Liverpool, they are, if they get a kind draw, they're not a good draw for any side in the competition. So their uh, current under-19s, under-18s uh doing very well at the minute. So... Derby, another team that take uh, their academy very seriously, mm. so they're reaping the rewards.
0: Well, you know, we I don't think we've said it um, directly so far, but we've mentioned a few times how profitable it can be to to spend time on your academy, because if you sell Will Hughes, for example, and I can't remember exactly, what the fee was, and surely it could have been even more had he not suffered so much with, with injuries, but now proving himself at Premier League level, that sort of fee, you know, between maybe a, a between a five and a 10 million pounds, that can essentially pay for an academy, can't it, for a few years? And, and uh, that can be a very lucrative thing, which is why the case of Brentford is quite interesting. Uh, Brentford were one of the first teams um, that I can remember anyway to essentially shut down their academy. Um, and there's been a lot of discourse surrounding this. It's one of those ones where, you know, we, we often talk about how well-run Brentford are on the podcast. So it's something that I've read up on uh, and can kind of understand the reasons for. But for those who don't know, can you give an overview of, of Brentford's youth development policy um, and, and why they made that move to
1: shut down the academy uh, a few years ago? Um, I believe it was two thousand, the summer of 2016. It was rumoured for a little while beforehand, and uh, Brentford decided essentially they were not going to focus on player development under their under-23 squad, which they turned into the Brentford B team, and they took it out of the uh, traditional system. So all of the games that they play are um, self-organised, friend were well, effectively friendlies you don't against, want to say
0: friendlies because what they would say is that they've actually created a um, a great a great set of fixtures that they play against very very high level opposition sometimes across Europe
1: yeah from yeah teams across Europe and um, so like all the way across often German teams so and I think they go on tour or on away trips quite often so uh, the idea in principle is that they can focus on picking up players around the age of 18 that they believe can seriously make it, try to develop them in-house seriously and transition them to the first team. Um, Which, yeah, it makes sense, I guess. But what I find interesting is one of the players they often tout as a success story from this system is Chris Meppam, who joined Brentford at 15. So under their new system, wouldn't have really made it uh, been an option for them. And although the transition from B team to first team went well, it's impossible to say whether that would have been any different in the old system. Um, I believe one of their main complaints is there's a 99-born player called Josh Bohoy, Bowie uh, He joined Man United and Jan Carlo Poveda joined uh, who's an England under 18 currently. He joined Brentford. Um, sorry, not Brentford. He joined Man City. And I believe that happened around the time of that. Poveda was definitely before the decision. Uh the lad that joined United there's a bit more consternation about when that actually happened. And what sort of Whether, uh,
0: comp what sort of compensation are they going to get for those players? I imagine that probably not as much as they thought they deserve or thought they could have got
1: in a few years time maybe. No it would well it would, obviously uh it would be minimal it would be the the base level fee for f f p uh which I think is currently somewhere around three hundred thousand which i i if we want to talk about f f p later like i have, i see benefits and negatives to the system mm. um but my main issue with Brentford is that their academy was doing really well and it's the case where they didn't see it through for the payoff. Mm. Because if you are producing players that Man City want, Man United want, they're not all going to leave. They have in the current England under-16 side, I think there's four ex-Brentford players that did not leave because they went to join someone else. They left because the academy was shut down. Mm. And I think, say, for example, Notts County, my local team, although they're doing slightly better at the minute, if they said financially our academy has not been beneficial to us for the last decade, we can't afford to put the money in to make it, and they reduced it, I'd understand that because they're a fourth-tier team. So... It kind of makes a little bit more sense to me, yeah. but I think the Brentford one, I I don't I don't know whether it was the right decision yet. But I think it would be interesting because I think this summer is when the players they had as academy players will this will be the last group that leaves. They the ones that transition to the B team, mm. they'll now be gone. So it'll be interesting to see how much it costs them to constantly replenish that B team and whether players start to come through. Um, I like I, I don't know whether it's the right decision. I just think it was a shame because the Brentford Academy was doing a lot right
0: yeah. and it
1: looked like they were onto something sustainable.
0: Well, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out, as you say, over the next few years. At, at the very least, we have uh, an example of, of, of a club doing something very different, doing something new. So um, as you say, it is hard to say whether it's the right or the wrong decision. It's definitely a different decision because most teams still um, going down the traditional route of uh, of academy football. A uh, couple of other championship clubs, if we can uh, if we can keep you on the line, Leeds, uh, of course, are a team with a very tidy um, history of uh, youth academy success and continuously producing players that play. Premier League or Championship football, uh, maybe more so than than most teams. Uh, we're going to talk about West Brom in a sec, because Leeds have actually got quite a few former West Brom youngsters in their squad. But just in terms of, of the Leeds quality, of course, you've got the likes of Byram uh, and Charlie Taylor playing up in the Premier League. And at the moment in the league squad, you've got Bailey Peacock-Farrell getting a lot of minutes. Um, you've got, who else? You've got Tom Pearce on the fringes, Calvin Phillips absolutely key member of, of this team and what a few years of development he's had um, you know he's the type of player for, to my eyes that if he'd been playing for another championship team that that hadn't prioritised his development so much could be I don't know where at age 22 but presumably would not have developed nearly to the same extent so that's you know he's been in the right place and then they've got Ryan Edmondson uh, Shackleton and the the current real starlet Jack Clark so Leeds just, it's almost like a tradition for them, isn't it? That there's just always youth team players in the first team, youth team players around the squad, and um, it's something
1: they do pretty well out of. Yeah, they're they're another interesting team because uh, I think it's kind of gone under the radar in that since they hired uh, Victor Orta, the technical director, um, they've... uh, recruited very aggressively in the their underage teams. Like mm. Edmondson came from York City. I believe he even made his National League North debut for them before joining yeah. last season. We've also got a striker called Sam Dalby from Leighton Orient yeah. who looks handy. Um, and then Tyler Roberts, of course, he was kind of in the grey area between first team and youth team. So and uh, So it's interesting how seemingly under the surface of the first team where they're turning through quite a lot of players, they're also being aggressive in the youth team. And it was interesting to see how that pays off, which when you pair it with traditionally a side that has produced good talent from a, a good geographical base in Leeds with a lot of uh, a fair dominance over that market... Mm. Uh, should it suggest that things will be good for them going forward? It's one and of those ones where if
0: they do win promotion, it might be bad news for a lot of the players that they've stockpiling in that under twenty threes or under twenty one setup, though.
1: Yeah, I think it's a double edged sword where the if you develop a a group good enough to play for your first team and progress, it has a knock on effect on the next group where their opportunities are less because yeah. the group before them pushed them to greater heights. So, I mean, I think you've got the exception of someone like Crew who stay at a certain level, consistently churn out talent. But I think, to be honest, it's always going to come in peaks and peaks and troughs mm. for, for everyone else. So credit to them if they manage to produce or at the same time.
0: And uh, of course, I'm, I touched on it just beforehand. Um, in that Leeds squad, you've got Kamar Roof, uh, West Brom Youth Academy product, Romain Sawyers uh, at Brentford, who played against West Brom um, on uh, on Monday night, as we record this on the Tuesday, um, and Tyler Roberts, who I know is a player that you followed quite closely in that Leeds setup. So as well as um, you know, local Yorkshire lads and, and lads who have been in the academy at Leeds, They've also benefited from this West Brom academy, which is one of the most potent. I think it's fair to say in terms of not necessarily providing Premier League players, but good quality uh, Championship and League One players. And by the looks of things, we've already touched on Field, uh, Raheem Harper, and Kyle Edwards as well, who are in the England youth setup. What is it that West Brom do do so well? Uh, why, how are they able to churn out this uh, this array of talent? Do you think?
1: Yeah, West Brom, pound for pound, they'd probably be up there for the talent they produce compared to their resources. Um, and if you go back to Izzy Brown, Jerome Sinclair, uh, there are another couple more names. They've got John Lecco. Um, I think the Birmingham catchment area is has a lot of talent. Mm. Um, I think if you look at Villa, Birmingham, West Brom, they all consistently produce players that play in the football league and I think that catchment area can't be discounted I think uh obviously similar to London I think the just the people playing football in the inner city it's just more than there is in some other areas Mm. and I think it's a higher higher standard it just uh fosters uh development in uh especially attacking players that um are comfortable with the ball at their feet in tight areas. Um, West Brom, their performances at youth level don't often match the talent they have. Uh, that's interesting. But that's that's often because either players are promoted early, um, often playing many years up, or they're bunched in certain positions. For instance, you've got Edwards, Leco, um, in the same yeah. position in the uh, under 23 team at the minute, but then you've also got uh, Morgan Rogers, who is probably the standout player in the current England under 17s team. Uh, left plays off the left wing, right footed, just really dominant, scores loads of goals. So he's only 16, he's in their under 23s. There's another lad called Louis Barry, who's only 15, he's made his under 23 debut. Striker. Uh, eligible for Ireland as well there's a bit of a tug of war going on for him at the minute nice so they do produce a lot of talent Uh, it just doesn't often quite come together as one team for for a standout uh, like a FA Youth Cup run but they are as consistent as any team their size
0: last championship team before we move on to leagues one and league two and some of the wider topics Um, Reading are a team a bit like Ipswich, who are struggling down at the bottom of the championship as we stand, but who, uh, on this topic, when it comes to the success of their of their youth teams in terms of providing players for the first team, which has to be one of the the staples of it, they appear to be doing rather well um, in their in their team in their first team. You've got. Uh, Jordan Abita, he's had such a touch, tough time with injury. He's sort of mid 20s now. Came through the system, I believe. Uh, Liam Kelly, who's a player that I've written about, who has had a, a tough few years uh, after breaking through under Yap Stam, and is such a uh, a brilliant ball player, but really suffering at times uh, due to his his extreme lack of height. Um, but in 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 recent weeks, we've seen. A player called Rina Mota, uh joined the first team as well. And, and we spoke about Danny Loder in part one, who's a serious goal scorer at England youth level. So Reading, another team, um, Connor, who, you know, take this very, very seriously and do seem to be producing consistently players that pr- uh, produce for their first team and plenty that drop down and, and succeed in League One and League Two as well.
1: Yeah, although although it's not always a great barometer for a team's success, they are currently top of the... Uh, PL2, the Premier League 2 which obviously shows that they're doing something right Um, like you said Rimota's just just made his breakthrough seriously into the um, first team and again they take it seriously they have a lot of depth at them levels so it's often players like Rimota that maybe went under the radar a little bit, has never played for England at any level I believe Zimbabwe have approached him. I'm not sure if he's played for one of their underage teams. Um, but they're, they always have players on the outskirts of England sides. Loda, the exception, he was in there uh, consistently. But it just shows that they've got a depth and there's no, uh, they're versatile in the talent they produce. The talent they produce isn't all the same. It's not all left wingers they produce in every position Mm. I think Rob Dickey at Oxford I think he dropped down I think he's from Reading as well so they just have a lot and again it's just whether three or four of them will come through together at the right time whether uh, they have like Norwich did they've put their players in the position to succeed whether they can do that remains to be seen but Danny Loader, as an asset for a championship side is about as good as you could ask for. So they should be positive and also they should put pressure on the club to develop him because the payoff is a lot bigger than the sacrifice.
0: I'll be backing Danny Loader, top goalscorer in League One next year, uh, <laughs> for a for a rampant Reading side. Um, I, I said last team in the Championship, but it's not the last team in the Championship. You wanted to talk about Wigan Athletic, not a team that really sprung up on my radar uh, during my research for this pod. So, talk to me about Wigan. Talk to me about what's going on there.
1: They are a bit similar to Rochdale in that previously they've not been on the radar at all as a team that produces young talent or that has any consistency. But they're another team that I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but they seem to be taking every aspect of their club seriously. Um, At the minute, they have two players in the England under-17s team. Uh, They've got a lad called Joe Galehart, who's a striker, really busy, hustle and bustle, not that tall, but really sharp, works hard. Uh, Scores a lot of goals, uh, but not bad on the ball at all by any means. Um, And they gave him his debut in the League Cup earlier in the season. And he's just signed a new deal as well, which I guess I think one of the reasons why they were ensuring that uh, he knew they were taking him seriously to help get him to sign that new deal. So that's positive for them. And then one of his teammates is uh, Jensen Weir. Who, he's a midfielder tall. He's the son of uh, David Weir, oh, ex nice. Everton, Scotland mm-hmm. player. So he's been back and forth between the England and Scotland youth teams. Looks to have settled on the England youth team at the minute, but that can always change. Um, he made his debut last season uh, in the early rounds of the League Cup, I believe. So he was born in 2002. So making his debut in early August No, late August 2017. Jesus. Just shows how, (laughs) one, how highly they rate him and how seriously they're taking their youth team, which is, it's always good to see that 2002 group with the England team uh, is probably more spread out. The talent is more spread out than any age group before I can remember. Uh, There's a lad who went to Benfica from Charlton in the summer, Sarmiento. Sarmiento. Uh, and they're just, there's just a lot of talent spread out throughout the Football League. So it'll be interesting to see how many break through with their club, how many move to bigger clubs and which proves to be the more successful pathway.
0: In League One, you mentioned Charlton there. They obviously have a fantastic record of, of producing young players who are now in the Championship and, and the Premier League, who we mentioned uh, in Part 1. Uh, and also getting good minutes from carlin grant who's who's become one of their star players um what is it about charlton do you think it's it's their uh location in london is it something it's always amazing to me that a team that's been uh subject to such chaos behind the scenes can still be producing the talent so it must speak to a a, a brilliant catchment area and brilliant youth recruitment um but it's not just grant that's played this season they've had uh, some other young players chip in as well. So I guess in League One, where do you want to go first? We've got Charlton, Coventry. Uh, we've spoken about Luton, but I think we could probably talk about James Justin a bit closer because you know you mentioned some of the players that Luton have lost, but they held on to Justin and what an impressive few years he's had at, at breaking into a Luton side when it hasn't always been easy for him.
1: Yeah, and I think he's the perfect example of uh, circumstances uh, helping a player because he played more the season before last than he did last season, if I'm correct. And,
0: uh, yeah, that's right. He didn't, he didn't appear that much last season in, uh, in, in their, in their promotion campaign. Um, and it, and it felt a bit like <clears throat> one of the issues was nothing really to do with him. It was the, brilliant performances of the right back Stacey uh, who I think's an old an old Reading Youth Academy product who's uh, performing he's only in his early 20s as well um and what Justin appears to have done is put his head down work out that maybe it wasn't going to happen in his favoured position of right back instead he's established himself in the team on the other side uh, left back played a bit left midfield as well which just speaks to his all-round game really quality technically and and physically as well
1: yeah and yeah like you said it's it's when a club, obviously you can only play right one right-back at a time, and when you've got a solid player like Stacey there, opportunities will diminish. And I think as Alan Sheehan ages out a little bit, Justin's taken advantage of um, that free position on the left. Um, Forrest were after him, I believe, last summer. I think they offered right. a substantial fee for him. So it just shows that, uh, a club like Luton has the resources to turn down a big offer for a player that they didn't even use uh, every week last season. I mean, they're probably just fed up of having their young yeah. players take it, to be honest. But I mean, and now, Justin's probably in a better position than he would have been if he'd joined Forest. Definitely. Luton are probably in a better position. It's probably not the worst thing for his career, having a bit of time out on the left. Uh, getting used to that. Uh, he's he's made England under-20 and under-19 squads. Um, so, yeah, he seems to be progressing well. He'll have, by the time he's 20, he'll have played over 100 games in the Football League. And you contrast that with some of the players of the, um, like Loftus-Cheek, who only just got to his 50th game for his career or for Chelsea mm. last week. And you think... He's set. He's got the platform underneath him and also he's earned the trust of uh, scouts, other clubs and he's got data points that people can point out and say, well look, he's done it across two leagues and he's only 19, so he's really set up for a good career. What about Tom Bayliss
0: and Coventry? Uh, Coventry, like Charlton, like Luton, like Sunderland, uh, an academy that produces Callum Wilson of course getting his uh, uh, England debut in the last international break and Bayliss is a a really interesting player isn't he Uh, we've spoken about the technical ability and the the interesting positions of these players and I feel like Bayliss's position is 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 quite interesting a sort of what would you call him a number eight or a number 10?
1: Um well he's he's been he's pretty versatile at that level mm. because I think of his talent I think um he can get away with playing in a lot of positions because he's so talented. He reminds me I was thinking he reminds me a little bit of uh, Bentenko at Juventus. Mm-hmm. Oh he's kind of tall. He looks like he needs to fill out a bit but he's kind of narrow shouldered, just really good on the ball, moves really well on the ball. Mm. It's hard to he's a he's such an all-rounder that it's hard to really pinpoint where he should play going forward but you'd hope that he settles in uh into a more traditional midfield role rather than being stuck out wide or stuck as a, stuck as a number 10 because i think it's a lot easier to uh, dismiss a number 10 or a wide player rather than a player who's constantly involved in play in the midfield um so yeah like you said commentary another team that for their size, and despite their troubles behind the scenes, have consistently um, produced players and seem to be taking it seriously. So, um, yeah, it's good to see. There's a few interesting players from Coventry that left. There's, I can't recall his name, but he went to Wolves. He joined Wolves last season. Okay, oh, Stevenson, Ben Stevenson. Yes, Ben Stevenson. Mm. And you contrast... So he moved to Wolves. I believe he had a loan spell after January last season at Colchester, I believe. He joined Wolves
0: on deadline day from commentary and went straight out to to Colchester the same day.
1: Yeah, but he didn't play a lot at Colchester. And then he's currently in the third tier, which is a split tier system. So there's a lot of of teams in that tier in Spain at uh, the Wolves feeder club. So you look at where he is, I believe he's played 40, 50 football league games and now he's kind of in in the middle of nowhere yeah. in his career. And you contrast that with uh, Bayliss, who will be heading into next summer with two full seasons under him, despite being two years younger than Stevenson. And it just shows how if you're moving to a Premier League club at 19, 20, you better hope you're in the first team because otherwise you're going to end up back where you started. So we've spoken a bit about players who
0: benefit from their club's relegation. Um, always trying to find the positives on the Not The Top 20 pod. One, one player who's certainly benefited is Josh Madger of Sunderland. We've discussed Barley Mumba. we've discussed Elliot Embleton on loan at Grimsby, also from Sunderland. What about Josh Madger? Because uh he doesn't seem to have appeared much in the England youth teams, but in terms of young English strikers scoring goals at professional level. He must be right up there at the moment, but he's an interesting case, isn't he? Because there's a, there's bigger clubs sniffing around.
1: Yeah, I think he's entering a really important part of his career, really. Because I think uh, the decision he makes in January and in the summer will probably define the next couple of years and maybe his whole career. Um, He was at Fulham, I believe he had a short spell at Man City, before finding his way to Sunderland. And like you said, their relegation to League One gave him the platform he needed to show um, that he can play in senior football. Um, He's probably been unfortunate not to make a recent under-20 squad. Um, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't made one of the October or November squads. And he'll probably be a candidate for the under-21s next season. But um, like I said, he's he's entering an important period of his career. His contract runs out at the end of the season. Uh, so it remains to be seen whether Sunderland are going to try and cash in uh, in January or whether they're going to wait it out or whether he'll sign a new deal. Um, obviously, hypothetically, anything could happen from any of their moves. seems smarter for him to stay where he is because the less risk and he's the coaching staff know him he's got a place he's doing well. Sunderland are probably they've probably bounced and they're probably on the way back up as opposed to dropping any further. Um, it reminds me of a little bit of when Jerome Sinclair left Le- uh, left Liverpool because he left it till the summer. It went to a tribunal and this probably put off any team in the football league from making a decision because if you sign a player and it goes to a tribunal you're not sure what fee you'll end up paying Mm. and so the football league clubs that could have guaranteed him minutes probably couldn't commit to that therefore he joined Watford two years later he's on loan at Sunderland in league one and I mean yeah like from leaving West Brom at 16 to join Liverpool not a lot's happened for him in the last six years Mm. So I think Sinclair, if he left it till the summer, could end up at a Premier League team next season that has no intention of playing him in their first team.
0: It's such an interesting question, isn't it? From our point of view uh, and people who follow uh, youth development like we do, it's, it always seems almost obvious to us that uh, you know the best option would be to stay and keep playing. But I, I wonder whether we... Maybe because we're not in the same situation, we're not involved within the game. Do you think we're slightly ignore perhaps the the, the almost human aspect of it? Whether that is a the financial situation that a move to a, a top top club puts you in in the short term, the the fact that you know as they say everyone's one injury away from from really having their career hampered, um, and also that mentality that top level sportsmen have to have that you know, a random like myself maybe doesn't have, which is the desire to test themselves, to go to these top teams and say, I am now undeniably um, within my age group, a a top talent. Do do you sort of, do you have to temper what you would like to happen for for what you consider the best uh, for the player? Do you sort of have to bear that in mind as well, do you think?
1: Oh no, 100%. I mean, like I said, he could join... He could join a team in January that's headed for promotion uh, by next season. He scores a couple of goals in September in the Premier League, and he's in the England squad. I mean, I, I don't think there's a set there's a set rule. There's n- nothing works perfectly for anyone. Like Madison, he's you could you could have said before he had his breakout season at Norwich that he was behind schedule. He he should have stayed at Coventry then. He has, he has his mixed season where he's on loan for six months at Aberdeen, then returns to Norwich, doesn't play. Then he has his breakout season. So if if we were doing the same thing for him, we would have said, no, just stay at um, Coventry. Mm. But but he's done well for himself. So I don't think there is... I think everyone wants to simplify it a lot more than it really is. And yeah. then, realist, like you said as well, I think it's a lot easier to tell a 17-year-old to turn down life-changing money to go join a league two side to play first team football but we all know that it's not as simple as that so yeah. i do think i do think it's not an easy decision but i think his is an especially interesting one because he's got the free options and he's got the um compensation great like uh, unknown if he leaves it till the summer mm. so he'll obviously have uh
0: a reference point of sorts, uh, Joel Asoro, who was uh, another one of Sunderland's very talented young players uh, who didn't get much of an opportunity in the Premier League and slightly more in the Championship last season, along with Major just getting a bit, a few more minutes. He opted to leave the club uh, and went to Swansea in the summer. So they cashed in on him, um, Asoro, and despite having started a few games at the beginning of the season, I think it's just 45 minutes he's played in the league now since mid-September. So uh, from, from Madge's point of view, he will have that uh, reference point, as I said, which which could influence his decision. Sunderland fans obviously hoping that he'll stay there. I mean, the, the, the rate that he's scoring at the moment and the quality of the team, he could be... You know, reaching 25 goals this season, which for someone his age would be massive, would be huge. So, uh, one to keep an eye on there. In League Two, uh, I don't know how much in terms of individual players, we've obviously got an England under 20. Um, in in League Two of, of Embleton who we've discussed uh, uh, more at length in part one um, I don't know if there are any particular players that you follow really closely in League Two aside from him and, and Backinson who we've mentioned on loan at Newport as well um, or whether it might be best to, to talk about uh, clubs as a whole we've obviously got the likes of MK Dons uh, Crewe Alexandra and Colchester United as well who you know for a club in the fourth tier of, of, of the English Pyramid are still producing uh, very very good players so
1: you know where would you like to start i guess um i just like one player i'd like to point out is uh, jacob Maddox at cheltenham mm-hmm. on loan from chelsea and i think he's a perfect example of a player who he wouldn't have been good on a championship loan he maybe if things fell right he'd be good on a league one loan but i think dropping down to the cha- uh, to the league 2 playing in his proper position they rely on him a lot for uh, attacking influence and i think rather than being shoved out wide or not playing for a better side i think he's the type of player that shows that a league 2 loan for a player from a top side is not necessarily a bad option
0: yeah and uh, in terms of uh, the clubs who i've touched on there crew alexandra probably the i guess really the blueprint at this fourth tier level. Um, and they've obviously flitted around over the last 10, 20 years. But this seems to be more or less where they're going to to stay unless they get something really exceptional um, in terms of, of, of building a squad. But they are still, and it's it's great to see in many ways, um, hugely reliant on their youth team to provide first team players. And some of their star players are all youth team products. So that that must be a team that you at least you know if you 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 at least keep an eye on to see some of their players and they have got some talented young young players coming through don't they
1: yeah uh, definitely they are they are like you said the blueprint they're the one team that their fans can can say they've got a youth system that is constantly productive everyone else is more uh, sporadic and it's often hypocritical what fans of one team says to the other team because they all do it because it's it's a rough system out there mm. um, but yeah crew they are both of their, their under 23s and their under 18s are in the second tier of the underage pyramid so they compete season after season with the likes of Ipswich um, sides like that so that shows where, what type of level their academy is on especially when you consider that their best young players are promoted early so their under 23s isn't necessarily the best group of under 23s mm. they have um yeah and they've got Callum Lee is it uh Harry Pickering at left back yeah Charlie and, Kirk
0: as well they all see, they seem to produce technically sound players as well and possibly lack a little bit on the physical side which is interesting
1: yeah and they had um George Cooper who joined uh Peterborough in the summer mm. Um, he's got a lovely left foot as well. Um, yeah, and I think they just constantly produce that base level of player that some of their players don't rise above League 1 or League 2, but just the amount that they get from having a player who ends up playing 100 games for them that they don't have to go find out and replace every single summer. Mm. Um, it's just a massive asset for the club to have. And then they get the odd player that... Um, comes with a big face uh, received. So yeah, yeah that's, that's they're the perfect model for a club of their size, it's, I think. It's
0: almost frustrating that they've, in terms of the recruitment team uh, for senior players, haven't managed to, on top of what is a, a, a core of, let's say, five or six, first team, uh, probably even more than five or six, hasn't been able to fill the, the remaining spots and, and really focus in on what else they need and put together a, a team that could challenge for league two, because I'm not saying it's easy to do that, but it certainly seems like they're in a position where, you know, they, they don't need to, to, to buy 11 first team players, more like five or six. And they could be, they could be there, but uh, it hasn't quite happened for them yet. MK Dons look like a team that will bounce straight back up to league one and in terms of their young history as a football club. Um, the I mean, the academy has clearly, for them, been a massive, massive success and a massive focus um, from the headline of Delhi alley uh, But there's been plenty more, hasn't there, for MK Dons? So they must be another team that you keep your eye on.
1: Yeah, they're almost similar. They're similar to West Brom in that they produce individuals and on the face of it, their youth teams aren't... They don't seem to overperform, but I think it's because... They push their players quickly up through the age groups and into their first team, so that you don't quite see the result of their overall talent on their underage sides. It's like the likes of Callum Britton. They've got the minute who played for the England under-20s last season. Mm. Uh, you've got Galloway, obviously, who's kind of in one of them players whose career hasn't quite gone where he wanted it, who's still at Everton, um, alongside Deli Ali Williams... Um, Yeah, there's a lot of talent there and I think they're another club who, although it's not always clear that things are organised when you look at the first team, I think they're laying an infrastructure behind the scenes there that should see them doing well in the future. And
0: it'll be interesting for listeners who don't follow youth football that closely to Know the recent news about uh, Dan Machike or Dan Machici, however we yeah. were saying that. I've already forgotten, having learned the pronunciation when he became first team manager. Obviously, a, an ill-fated stint as first team manager. And not only did that contribute to their relegation to League Two, but also they've, they've lost Machichi who was such a massive part of their academy. And he's gone to, to one of the biggest sides in, in the UK, hasn't he?
1: yeah he's just joined arsenal i believe it's the under 15s or 13s i think he's going to be in charge of and uh i don't maybe he will be a future first team coach but i think sometimes these people that are, have an ability to interact with younger people develop their skills at the base level sometimes that is just their skill set and it doesn't automatically translate to a senior dressing room where there's a lot more noise and there's a lot there's a lot more going on and a lot more to focus on rather than individual player development. So maybe he's found his home and maybe that's, that's what his career is going to be about from here on out.
0: Yeah, and just a, a last word on MK Dons. I know there's a, an attacking player called Dylan Asongani that they're quite excited about. Obviously, at the moment, for a forward player like him, although he's had, had, a, had a go in the uh, Carabao Cup uh, with Agard and, and um, <clears throat> Anike and Rhys Healy, Um, nailed on in those front three spots. It does feel like an injury or, or, well, it probably would have to be an injury, but Asson Garnier is the type of player that, especially if MK Dons are cruising to to automatic promotion, which they may do, uh, could be someone that we see more of, hopefully, uh, as we finish the season. And Colchester as well, another team for whom youth development... And promoting from within, both on a on a coaching level, they've their last few managers have all been promotions from within. Uh, but also uh, in terms of their playing staff, another team that seemed to get it right and seemed to provide the first team with uh, with good, solid League Two players. And there's a, a group of them in their early twenties now. I'm thinking of Frankie Kent, uh, Lapsley, and um, of course Sammy Smoedix, who's the most sort of sought after, I guess, um, players who you sort of assume they're going to get a chance at a higher level and at the moment does not seem like they will. They they seem, Colchester seems to be one of those places where the players they um, produce, they're so loyal to the club that they, they seem to stay a bit longer than you might expect other young starlets.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, I think that's one of the strengths and weaknesses of the English pyramid is that Teams, the talent doesn't always flow upwards as quickly as maybe it would do in other countries. But then at the same time, it means that we've got more depth in our teams and there's stronger tiers throughout the league. So Mm. it's a bit of a trade-off there. I'm not sure whether there's a perfect answer, but Colchester are another interesting team where they play alongside Crew in the second tier, alongside teams like Ipswich, um, and they're having a bit of a rough season in their under-23s and under-18s this year. They're bottom of the league, um, taking some heavy defeats. But I think generally it just shows how even though they're a League Two side, they take their youth team seriously. And again, they're another team that they're in a catchment area with other big teams. So it shows how They still take it seriously and still get by and are productive with it.
0: Yeah, really impressive. Other young players in League Two, just to mention, so that listeners to the pod can make a note and try and keep an eye on. Um, Liam McCarron at Carlisle has started to move into the first team more and more. He's he's only 17 and looks like another one of these sort of very mobile attacking players you can play out wide um, and through the middle as well. Ellis Chapman at uh, Lincoln is a a really interesting one. They picked him up from Leicester, didn't they, Chapman? And well, I mean, what is he? He's also not seven, not doesn't turn eighteen till January, but he's a big old boy. He got that red card um, uh, in in League Two the other day, which didn't go that well for him. But um, he looks like he could be a serious player. And Lincoln have got themselves as if they needed any more talent, uh, someone that they can start a bit like Asonganyi. Maybe if they are looking good for promotion, can start sort of feeding him in more and more to the first team. Looks like a guy that can step up straight
1: away. Yeah, he's is. Um, I believe he started at Lincoln then went to Leicester but decided he wanted to go back. Oh right, yes that's right. Which is interesting because if you discuss about um, EPPP and how players move around at that age, I think one thing about EPPP is that it stops players from dropping down necessarily Mm. and so I think he only got to go back to Lincoln because Leicester allowed him and whereas they could have kicked up a fuss and kept him there, made him stay for longer and kept him in a bit of a um, purgatory. So I think sometimes players, even before they get to the first team, they get trapped in certain, the infrastructure below that. Mm. What
0: about APPP? We mentioned it a few times. Uh, You said earlier that I think like a lot of these things, um, people look at it negatively when it, maybe doesn't fall for them uh, or for their club Uh, and a bit like FFP um, it's one of those things where I feel like the general understanding of the ins and outs of it is not always um, particularly precise so uh, you said earlier that you think there are pros and cons to this and you follow youth team football and youth development more than anyone so what would you say Uh, I can't remember how many years it's been in place but wherever we are now what would you say are the main pros and the main cons of of EPPP?
1: Well, I think my main focus for me is that if say a League 2 side has a well, say a Football League side has a 14-year-old I'm not sure if morally they should have ownership of that Mm 14-year-old and where he can play his football like if I had a son, and he wanted to join a better swimming club, you would you would bring him to the better swimming club. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. And I so I think when they're not professionals, I think you have to keep it fluid, because I don't think it's right for football or for um just them as children mm. for them to be held hostage. But that's at both ends as well. That's Like I said, like with the Ellis Chapman, I don't believe that Leicester should have been able to, if they'd have wanted to, like uh, holding him hostage is a strong term, but prevent him from uh, being a bit more fluid with his movement. Mm. So I think guaranteeing, as long as the Football League clubs are guaranteed money, well, the category, the non category one clubs are guaranteed money, I don't think the non-professional upwards trajectory of talent is necessarily a bad thing because also I think as the better players pool at the top players drop down like Mm. the likes of Mepham if it wasn't for EPPP, maybe he'd still be at Chelsea but that constant flow of talent to land at the right place feels like it should be right Um, I understand I, I think the fees could probably be higher I think they need to rather than increasing the initial fees, they should just be from general transfers. Money should go to the side that originally developed them, more money, like a percentage. Um but I think last year Chelsea signed a lad called George Nunn off Crewe. And I believe they paid it was between three hundred and five hundred thousand pounds for a seventeen year old. Mm. And crew fans rightfully or wrongly thought that they should have more and a guaranteed 300 to 500 thousand pounds for a 17 year old even if he does go on to play for england and chelsea that's a lot of money yeah and i'm not sure whether it's right if these fees are going up to 10 million or 5 million or Two much you know, yeah. because if you look at the players that crew have sold in the last decade, he is one of their biggest sales behind Nick Powell and mm-hmm. a few others, and he's not played a senior game at any level. Was there a so,
0: was there a, a, a Millwall player as well moving age fourteen? I think is that is that right? There yeah, a Millwall yeah, that
1: moved to to Man City for yeah. I'm I'm not sure on the exact some of that. Sure, but again, I think I think as long as. 300
0: 100k or something like that it's still yeah, as you said earlier, for what is a 14 year old child, it's yeah. still a, it's an unbelievable amount of money, and that is such so many years away from senior football as well.
1: yeah, and I think as long as the FA make being strict with agents and money on the side and all the extraneous stuff like that, I think movement being fluid at them age groups is only right, because otherwise you are just saying it's all a business and it's not about talent development, really. Mm. A couple of
0: other <clears throat> more sort of general, more serious topics to touch on. Um, FIFA's new loan rules and the impact it could have. Uh, there's already a lot of opinions out there, uh, some of them probably not based on full knowledge of, of what the new rules and regulations seem to be. So what do you think about these new loan rules? What impact might it have on the EFL? Might it mean more talent trickling down because top clubs will have to slash their squads or is that not how you see it
1: um, sort of playing out? Um, I think the main type of transfer it will cut out is the likes of Lucas Piazon to Fulham on Mm -hmm. loan because Chelsea will have to make a decision with him either to not sign him in the first place because I'm not sure whether they thought he was a realistic first-team player to begin with or to sell him earlier so that he's not taking up one of their loan spaces. Um, It's not being confirmed, but I believe that homegrown players will be exempt or at least up to a certain age. Mm. So I think the top clubs will not actually miss out that much, but it will stop transfers of like Man City and Chelsea where they're signing players not really with an intention of playing them in the first team but just as an asset mm. that they can eventually flip for more profit. Okay. So maybe that, I'm not sure if it will have a massive impact to be honest on anything.
0: So I mean obviously Chelsea are are the sort of uh, always held up as the team, the reference point for this sort of thing and as you mentioned they do have a, a recent history of, of buying those foreign players many of whom it's it's absolutely no way that they'll ever get near the first team, and and that you know they can't even pretend that really. But of course, they are also a team, Chelsea. Whether or not these players all started at the club age ten, or whether they were picked up from from other academies, who also harbour a lot of English talent. So the likes of well, just in the EFL, Maddox, Sterling, uh, De Silva, Mount. Um, there's more that that I can't remember. So those guys, you think, wouldn't count towards the The eight is that is that more or less what you think uh, is that more or less how you see it happening?
1: Yeah, that seems to be what the clubs are saying. Because the clubs seem to be saying that they don't really mind this rule because they don't think it'll affect them. I think uh, I think Chelsea have twelve players that it would affect, so they'd have to get rid of four of them. Mm, Okay. So, and I think Chelsea signing players to flip them for profit or to have them in their lone army i think the players that they did sign with that strategy four or five years ago i think they've not been signing that type of player in the last few years so i'm not sure whether that was even going to be something they'd pursue in the long term anyway
0: okay uh i wanted to ask you about the current trend of Young players moving abroad, uh, many of them to great success uh, and and headline news such as Sancho and Reese Nelson to the uh, Bundesliga. But we've had, you know, you mentioned ones that have gone much more under the radar to the regular fans, someone like Sarmiento going from Charlton to Benfica. I mean, that, that is crazy, but it, it just talks to the fact that these, um, these bigger clubs in, in faraway lands are realising that the talent available across all four tiers is such that they can maybe make the most of, which considering many of their top players get, uh, you know, senior players uh, move to England because that's where uh, the great money is at the top, top level. It seems to be like they're sort of um, attacking in a different way, um, attacking English football, but uh, doing very well out of it. But I wanted to talk about moving on loan. Um, a lot of young Premier League players will move to the Eredivisie Divisie uh, or, or abroad, Um, instead of moving to the EFL on loan. Um, So just wondered if you have any thoughts on whether that's to do with the type of player or the club that is loaning them out and their preferences and and your own personal preferences about, you know, a top, top talent, someone you think could really reach the top going on loan to, let's say, um, a club in the Aerie Divisie versus a club in the Championship and what you've seen uh,
1: from those who have done both. Um, I think... I think one of the reasons they're being loaned all over the place is simply just because they have to go somewhere. And I think Chelsea have countless players in the Football League. I don't think it's because they're adverse to loaning players there. I just think they have so many that they have to find landing spots for them all. Mm. Um, I think the type of players that are, are suited to Dutch loans, I think they're also suited for permanent moves to holland and i think rather than them even considering dropping down in the leagues that should be their aim um dan crowley who was on loan at Barnsley day in oxford is Ooh, a good example
0: wasn't very popular
1: at oxford yeah but he's seriously talented and in dutch football he absolutely destroyed their second tier last season because they play, everyone plays on 3G pitches, uh, the, his physicality is greatly reduced, and now he's starring in the Eredivisie. Whereas, I'm not sure if his career would have ever taken off. And also, if, say, if you accept that there may be issues behind the scenes, anything that impacts his ability to play football every week is only going to exacerbate them issues. So the best thing for him to do was to permanently move to Holland and start his career there and I think there's loads of players like that and I think that's just the reality, every other country does it, not every Brazilian is suited to English football not every Brazilian um, is suited to Spanish football Like, I think we have so much talent that they should be encouraged to search out uh, permanent careers abroad
0: Yeah fair enough, we hope that personally from our point of view that many of them will showcase their talents in the EFL but certainly we've seen many players move on loan to the EFL and and not succeed straight away uh, and then find a much higher level elsewhere later on in their career. So a a case of horses for courses, I suppose. Um, Almost done, but we're going to talk about the Checker trade trophy. Uh, I think you're an excellent person for us to discuss this with. It is such an emotive topic amongst EFL fans, many or most, I should say, of whom the large majority not only didn't want the uh, changes to come into place with um, the academy teams or the under 23 teams however you want to call it of um, premier league and championship teams to join the competition Um, those who defend the competition well they say that it is massive for the young players of these top teams to be able to play against adults um, and they say that the increased prize money um, that ha- that the competition has seen due to the uh, introduction of these bigger teams uh, obviously benefits the teams in the lower tiers who have made deep runs in the competition, like Lincoln um, last year. So, I wanted to to ask you, really, uh, as someone who follows the the top tier talent, um, as someone who's who's watched many of these under 23 teams, you mentioned you watched Tyreek Bakinson play against Spurs, for example, um, last year. So you've been following how these young players of, of top academies have done. Do you think it has helped them as much as many of the sound bites suggest? It feels sometimes like we only hear very positive things from these um, under 23 teams and from their coaches. Um, do you think it has helped them as much as, as we are told? And do you think those teams have used it
1: properly as well? Um, I don't think there's been any impact, negative or positive, for the under-23s. I think if you look at the sides that actually play, I believe this season, two of the Czech trophy games were during the international break. So that means it's not even the clubs playing their best youngsters in them. Um And so if they're using 30 players, say, across the group stages, that's not, like, it's not any meaningful amount of football against adults for the players. Um, I think, like, it was nice to see Ampadu and Shalva against Lincoln last year. Mm. Uh, Like, they looked right at home. Like, maybe you could argue that just them small glimpses for players are good because it puts them in the window for a loan. But... Um, I think this year with Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, City all getting through the groups, I think if we end up with a semi-final with two or three under-23 teams, I think we could reach the point where it becomes a real controversy and it gets scrapped altogether.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. and And one of the fears, I think, was that this as an idea and as it's been executed, was um, a sort of trial uh, to see whether the potential is there for these massive clubs to have B teams in the English league system um, in whatever form. So I guess, firstly, do you think there's any chance of that? And would you be in favour or or against that?
1: Um, I used to think that it could be a credible idea. But then I think when you actually look at the B teams around Europe, you have Barcelona and Real Madrid playing in the second or third tier in Spain and Atletico hover around there as well. They seem to be doing all right. Ajax and PSV and some of the other big sides have teams in their second tier. But if you look in France, France, Ligue 1 has 20 teams. Ligue 2 has 20 teams, and then the national third tier has 18 teams, and some of them are amateur teams. And so it's completely different to England. That, like, I know someone that was playing that um, became a f- full pro last year in the National League North. So that's 120 teams or so, basically, in England that are fully pro. So I just don't think, our, I think. That's the strength of our structure. And I just don't think there's room for teams based on Barcelona having a good B team. Because I think if you look in Germany, they are basically treated as amateur teams with uh, middle-aged players playing for Bayern Munich and Dortmund too, rather than them playing their best 19-year-olds. So I'm not sure there's actually much evidence that they're beneficial in the first place. So then I guess
0: the next question is uh, if there is an issue with um, let's say the ages between 19 and 22 and a bit of a blockage in terms of pathway for players at those top teams um, is in your eyes is there a a better way of dealing with it than B teams maybe some sort of revamp of that uh, youth league system
1: or structure? Well interestingly it used to be an under 21 league and a lot of clubs were asking for it to be an under 19 league and instead of having under 18s under 21s for it to be under 17s under 19s and it got changed to under 23s and no one uses it well there's only a few exceptions of people have teams that use it as an under 23 league most of the top teams fill their under 23s with 18 and 19 year olds and everyone else is out on loan so i don't see why they don't just reduce it to under 20 league but then make it harder to loan players above that age or above 21 so that teams are forced to have less players on their books and they're forced to sell them or not sign them in the first place to ensure that there's more just movement and churn and fluidity through the players, through the leagues. Because at the minute, the under-23 league is a league that no-one watches, no-one wants their players to play in, and it's it's a pretty pointless league
0: at the minute. Conor Rowden definitely... Uh, unbelievable expertise on all these things and so much sense being talked as well. Let's hope that there are people listening who might take that on board, maybe some key decision makers, because, yeah, that under-23 league, as you've described it, it's, it's hard to justify. It seems to almost undermine the very concept that it was put in place to, uh, to help out. Um, but thank you so much for well, spending so long with us. Um, apologies for taking up so much of your time. But once we had you, um, it, there was just so much to touch on. And I uh, hope you've enjoyed your appearance on the Not The Top 20 podcast.
1: No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Ali. Uh, no
0: worries. And I, I should have done this before, but uh, people are going to want to find you. And it's not quite as simple as typing in Connor Rowden uh, on Twitter. <laughs> You're a bit more of an enigma. So um, you are certainly one of my favourite Twitter follows. So make sure that you let, know, let the listeners know rather uh, how they can follow you as well.
1: So it's at, at Rowden.com. J-R-S-G so that's R-O-W-D-E-N J-R-S-G
0: Excellent of course that will be in the tweet where most people would have found this and clicked on this so if you haven't seen that if you want to find Connor's Twitter page if you want to follow him for regular uh, expertise on all things youth football and youth development um, we'll have tweeted his username there as well Connor thank you very very much for joining us
1: No worries thank
0: you